So this evening I'm going to talk about masculinity, archetypal masculinity. And why am I talking about this today, you might ask. It's uh, where this evening is the beginning of a Celtic holiday known as Lugnasa. It's one of the quarter days of the, of the calendar in the, in the, how can I say, the, in the ancient uh, Celtic calendar, days were thought to begin at sunset, just like in the Jewish tradition. So Lugnasa begins at sunset tonight through the day tomorrow. And if you imagine the year as a big circle, it has a, the, the Celts believe that it had a light half or an archetypal masculine half and a dark half or an archetypal feminine half. Lugnasa is at the vertex of that circle. It's the, the apex, you might say, the pole of masculine energy during the year, the feast of the god Lug. Six months from now, on uh, February 1st will be the feast will be in bulk the feast of the goddess Bridget which is seen as the yin pole of the year so archetypal masculinity and archetypal femininity I'll be talking about these a lot I don't want it to be misconstrued as you know all men need to be one way all women need to be another way the way I would frame it is the archetypal masculine and archetypal feminine are wells of wisdom that exist in all of us, and we all can draw on them in some way. I'll say that, um, how can I say, traditional gender roles give us some insight into the masculine and feminine, although there's a lot of dysfunction in those also. Um, the mythological traditions give us insight. Really, in some sense, the most sophisticated system is the Chinese yin-yang system. Yin is the archetypal feminine, yang is the archetypal masculine. And there are a few things to point out about the yin-yang system. Um, the I Ching calls, says that Yang is the creative, and yin is the receptive. Um, and so one interesting thing about the yin-yang system, this, this binary in, in Chinese philosophy doesn't line up at all with the Western binary of good versus evil. It's not that one is good, the other is evil, one is better than the other. Um, in the Chinese system, good, or what, what is functional, is when yin-yang are in connection, when they're in creative flow, when each is supporting the other, you know. Ideally, the, the feminine and the masculine have the, the power to call out the greatness in each other, ideally. Um, that's what's good. And in the, in the Chinese system, what's bad is if you get 100% yin or 100% yang, you know, one to the total exclusion of the other. I'll also say that yin and yang, they're often misunderstood as weakness and strength. And, and the, the truth is it's something much more subtle than that. And I think a very good way to think about that is to just think about the human body. The yang strengths of the human body 
are the ability to put out tremendous force or tremendous energy. A weightlifter, a marathon runner, you know, mo many professional athletes are demonstrating yang strengths. Yin strengths of the body are about the, the body's ability to receive the health of the digestive system, the health of the immune system, the lymphatic system, the endocrine system, you know. And so the paradox is that yang strengths make people look good at the beach. Yin strengths guarantee health and vitality into old age. You know, and imagine if the genie said to you, you know, you could have one of two things, but you can't have both. You could have a few really spectacular days at the beach where you look great, or you could be healthy and vital the last 30 years of your life. Like, it, it wouldn't be much of a choice, you know. Like, young strength... Young strengths are, are more spectacular. They look good in the moment. But yin strengths are far more powerful in the long term. They have a more subtle but enduring quality. Um, and so that, I think, is a very important thing to understand about the archetypal masculine and archetypal feminine. I'll say also, you know, at first blush when I say the terms... You know, the archetypal masculine is the creative. The archetypal feminine is the receptive. You know, it might sound a little like I'm saying, well, one's the exciting one and one's the boring one. You know, this kind of thing. Um, that, you know, and there's this, this uh, might be a tendency to think of receiving as just, well, you know, I'm just going to sit here and wait for something exciting to happen kind of thing. Um, first of all, even in the human body, the human body's capacity to receive, say the immune system, the immune system is one of the most intelligent systems in our body, you know, and we're, we're in sorry shape if our immune system is not working well, you know. Um, and at the emotional level, I'd say in some sense we're all looking to be received deeply. We're all looking for, to be received, to be seen for who we are, to be acknowledged, to be, you know, to have our unique perspective heard, you know, and the people who are skilled at receiving people, those are some of the most wonderful people on earth, you know, there's tremendous healing that comes when we're received deeply, you know, and so to say that the archetypal feminine is the receptive is not to, not to assign it a, a you know, a lower or boring position, it's actually one of the most valuable things in the world. So, so many things to say about the masculine. One way to frame it is, just in terms of physical movement, a masculine mode of, of movement you would describe as more a straight line, pushing toward a goal. Um, very directed, very focused, you know, toward a goal. And by contrast, uh, an archetypal feminine way of moving is more of a almost a meandering, like, what's here? What What's all around here, you know? Um, if you think of hunting and gathering societies, which, which is how our species lived for hundreds of thousands of years. I mean, everything about recorded history and civilization is just a, a tiny blip in our, in the, in our species overall. Um, Hunters, in those societies, hunters were typically male, and hunting 
that 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 kind of represents that male motion, you know, going after a target, moving in this directed way. Whereas gathering is more about this checking out what's here, and the gathering was usually done by the females in those cultures. And I'll say of those two modes, both are valuable. And there are clearly some circumstances in all our lives when the most functional thing to do is to move efficiently towards some goal. And, and the other mode, if I'm just sort of meandering, I'm, I'm dawdling, I'm wasting time because the functional thing is to get to that goal. There are other situations in life where it would be, incompletely, it would be completely dysfunctional to be pushing toward any goal. And the most functional thing is to just be present with what is, you know. And so I, I'd say they're both, you know, useful tools for us to have. They serve very different functions. I'll say also that um, when the masculine gets into a 100% young mode with no receptivity, uh, then that pushing forward motion can become aggression. It can become, you know, you're in my way, so I'm going to plow through you, you know, move fast and break things, that sort of thing. That, that I would say, is more the, the dark side or the dysfunctional side of the masculine. Another thing that gives some insight, I think, is the traditional wedding vow. Very traditionally, men would swear to love, honor, and serve. Women would swear to love, honor, and obey. Now, the obey, obviously, that raises all kinds of red flags. Um, it, to our ears, obey is a really jarring, wrong note, and I, I think it says a little more about, the, about male fantasies than it actually says something about the feminine. Um, but serve that strikes a deep chord there's something very deep in the archetypal masculine about serving about being of service um, I think conventionally a lot of played out in, in men feeling they wanted to be providers for their family serving their family you know am I a good provider that sort of thing which is in some sense, a defining question for many conventional men. Um, I think leadership is most um, most enlightened when people realize that to lead is to serve. And if you think about the great leaders that the human race has had, all of them have have held it in a spirit of service. You know, the worst leaders are the ones who. They start to lead, and you know it's all about me. Look how great I am, kind of thing. There's something else I wanted to say. Um, funny, I'm spacing on the. Ah, yes. Um, Another aspect of the archetypal masculine I would, des I would describe as kind of a, a, a quietness, a stillness, um, a sort of solid stillness and solidity. Um, you know, there's the, um, the very conventional kind of description, you know, so-and-so is a strong, silent type. You know, sometimes a strong, silent type meant that they were not very verbally gifted. Um, but especially with 
especially that quality with some receptivity, the, the, a man can be a tremendous listener, you know, and, and it can be a real gift for a man to listen to a woman. There are many, not all women, but there are many women who need to verbally process, who process verbally, and it can be a tremendous gift when the man is simply listening. You know, go through what, you know, say whatever you need. Go process however you process. I'm just going to listen. I'm going to hold space for you. You know, that can be very generous. Um, John Gray, the, uh, the author of Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. I heard him in a, a workshop once. He's, he's actually quite a brilliant man. And he, um, he recommended this. Most, most of the workshop was couples. I was, I was there as a single person, but most of the workshop was couples. And he, he recommended this exercise called the Venus time. And the way the Venus time works is the men and the women sit face to face, the men and the women, the couple, they set a timer for 15 minutes. And for 15 minutes, the man is quiet and the woman gets to talk about whatever she wants to talk about. Um, and it was fascinating watching this because when the 15 minutes were up, all these couples were doing this, and when the 15 minutes were up, the whole energy of the room had shifted. And it was like, it was almost like you could feel the warmth and the affection in the room, you know, because the woman, you know, got to clear out a lot of stuff and, and felt clear and felt heard. And the man really got more, got in touch with his masculine by being in that holding space kind of place. So that, that sort of dependability, holding space, is a quality of the masculine. Um, and again, when it's, um, how can I say, when it's dysfunctional, you know, men who are afraid of the feminine, then it becomes controlling and confining, you know, bottling up the flow, as opposed to providing a space where the flow can happen. Um, and really, in some ways, the masculine can give power to the flow of the feminine. You know, you think of flow from like a, you know, trickle from a garden hose going in all directions to add a little more focus to that flow. It becomes as powerful as a fire hose, you know, and what is the way that 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 power can actually be channeled? So in this talk, I've been talking a lot of in in metaphors, largely. Um, what does a healthy man look like? This is Mike McGarry's own, you know, what does a healthy man look like? Um, well, I mean, the first thing I would say for anyone, I, I, don't think, I don't think it's masculine or feminine, but the quality of nobility. Um, I think we all are, are at our best when we're acting from what is noble inside of us, you know? And so let, let's just start with that as a baseline. A man, healthy man is in touch with his nobility. Um, a healthy man is confident. And how can I say, bravado and swagger are travesties of confidence, you know? If I'm truly confident, I don't need any to prove that to anyone else. I don't need anyone else to acknowledge that. I know it. 
the perceptive people will see it, the unperceptive people don't matter, you know? It's like that sort of thing. Um, you know, and part of that confidence is, is the ability to be vulnerable, is the ability to admit mistakes, to, to accept feedback, you know, all those sorts of things. Um, a healthy man is devoted to service in some ways, devoting to serving others, you know, and can take leadership or can take charge in a situation um, as an act of service, as an act of supporting others. Um, a healthy man is a deep listener. Um, and a healthy man really finds tremendous fulfillment in serving the woman in his life in a way that she can shine and be who she is, you know. So I'll share the quote sheet at this point. Uh, A couple people might have to share because it's a very crowded room. I didn't make that many copies. one for myself here. Here you go. The first one is from the Confucian commentaries on the I Ching, from the commentary on, on hexagram one, which is pure yang, the initiating. Um, the way of the initiating is change and transformation so that each being obtains its true nature and destiny and the unity, the great harmony is preserved. And so in other words, how can I say, enlightened leadership is the leadership where, like for example, it's the boss who views it as their mission, how do I create the conditions so every person in my charge thrives, so that every person in my charge is successful and can do the best at what they're doing, you know, that sort of thing. Um, you know, certainly as a, a, some of you know, as a high school teacher for many years, how can I create the d- conditions in my room so that every student feels accepted for who they are and can thrive in the way that they need to thrive, you know? Um, it's an affirmation of others as opposed to, you know, a repressive kind of thing. From Seneca, the wise statesman, no man is unhappier than he who never faces adversity, for he is not permitted to prove himself. The enlightened emperor Marcus Aurelius said, waste no more time arguing what a good man should be. Be one. Frederick Douglass, an extraordinary individual, said, the lesson taught by human experience is simply this, that the man who will get up will be helped up, and the man who will not get up will be allowed to stay down. Personal independence is a virtue and is the soul out of which comes the sturdiest manhood. From Walt Whitman, who was a big fan of men in every sense of the word, um, the male is not less the soul nor more. He too is in his place. He too is all qualities. He is action and power. The flush of the known universe is in him. Scorn becomes him well. Appetites and defiance become him well. The wildest, largest passions 
bliss that is the utmost, sorrow that, uh, that is the utmost, become him well. Pride is for him. The full-spread pride of man is calming and excellent to the soul. Knowledge becomes him. He likes it. He brings everything to the test of himself. Whatever the survey, whatever the sea and the sail, he strikes soundings at last only here. Where else does he strike soundings except here? From Theodore Roosevelt, we do not admire the man of timid peace. We admire the man who embodies the victorious effort, the man who never wrongs his neighbor, who is prompt to help his friend, but who has those virile qualities necessary to win in the stern strife of actual life. And if you know about, about T- Teddy Roosevelt, he was, he was very much a man's man. Um, Carl Jung. I've noticed that people usually have not much difficulty in picturing to themselves what is meant by the shadow, even if they would have preferred instead a bit of Latin or Greek jargon that sounds more scientific. But it costs them enormous effort to understand what the anima is. They accept her easily enough when she appears in novels or in films, but she is not understood at all when it comes to seeing the role she plays in her own life because she sums up everything that a man can never get the better of and never finishes coping. Therefore, it remains in a state of perpetual emotionality which must not be touched. The degree of unconsciousness one meets with this in, in connection with this is, to put it mildly, astonishing. Hence, it is practically impossible to get a man who is afraid of his own femininity to understand what is meant by the anima. Now, of course, Jung was writing writing these words nearly a hundred years ago, um, I would say we live in a time now in which men are much more comfortable being in touch with inner feminine. That's not, not nearly the same kind of taboo it was in the Victorian era. Einstein said quite simply, try not to become a man of success, but rather a man of value, which again points to the, the idea of nobility. Gandhi said, Manliness consists not in bluff, bravado, or loneliness. It consists in daring to do the right thing and facing consequences, whether it is in matters social, political, or other. It consists in deeds and not words. Herb Goldberg wrote, The male has paid a heavy price for his masculine privilege and power. He is out of touch with his emotions and his body. He is playing the rules of the male game plan, and with lemming-like purpose, he is destroying himself emotionally, psychologically, and physically. And again, I think that's something more true of traditional roles than, than men today. The radical theologian Matthew Fox said, When the sacred masculine is combined with the sacred feminine inside each of us, we create the sacred marriage of compassion and passion in ourselves. Robert Moore wrote, Submission to the power of the mature masculine energies always brings forth a new masculine personality that is marked by calm, compassion, clarity of vision, and generativity. Walter Newell said, We don't need to reinvent manliness. We only need to will ourselves to wake up from the bad dream of the last few generations and reclaim it in order to extend and enrich that tradition under the formidable demands of the present. 
the healer, Maladoma Patrice Somme, said, The truth is our disconnection with the earth translates into a kind of disrespect for the feminine. How far can you go in violating the mother that gave you life? As long as the feminine is diminished, the connection between us and the earth will, be, will always be underscored by a big question mark. We have abused the earth so much that we don't know what direction to go in. We must wonder about this. We must wonder about this increasing masculinity that is translated in terms of repeated violence or love of it. You know, and again, that's that is very much the dysfunctional masculinity that disregards the earth, disregards the feminine. Antonella Gambato Burke says, "Our culture." is now of one of masculine triumphalism, in which trans-historically feminine expressions, empathy, sweetness, ability, warmth, are seen as impediments to women's professional trans, uh, motions through uh, in many sectors. Viva Grand said quite simply, I believe that a woman's sensuality makes the best of a man. And Dr. Denise Rain says, the redefining of the sacred male principle is the dawn of a new vibrant light, a mature masculinity that is not abusive, domineering, or grandiose, but generative, creative, and empowering. He is vulnerable without shame, revealing that his now discarded armor of invulnerability was nothing more than an illusion that hid his true power. He is now free and open to rediscover and reconnect with the power of nature and the cosmos. He is ready to establish true relationships with authenticity and integrity. The great mystery moves through him, reminding him constantly that he is it and it is him. He is a force of nature first, a man second, a spear of Gaia herself, and no amount of perceived invulnerability can, can guard against it. 